Bring it in. Read Option Podcast back and better than ever. Me and Scotty in today. Vito uh, traveling once again, busy with work. We're going to hopefully get him on the pod on uh, on Thursday to get everybody updated and ready for conference championship week. But we are down to our final four teams, both one seeds, the Ravens and Niners, as well as the Detroit Lions, the NFC, and the Kansas City Chiefs returning to their sixth consecutive AFC championship. Great, great weekend. script writing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, great weekend of football as we get ready for uh, for conference championship weekend. Um, two really good games, uh, a game that was pretty good and a fun first half and interesting second half, and then a game that ended up being kind of a blowout, um, but still a c- tightly contested first half. So, uh, Scotty, your boys, on to the conference championship for the second year in a row. How are you feeling? Third. Third year in a row. Sorry, third year. I and forgot four and yet. five. Yeah. It's pretty good. You know, I saw a pretty statistic. Impressive. Saw a statistic <clears throat> that there are of uh, NFC championships reached since 2000, and our teams stand alone with, I believe it was eight apiece, seven or eight apiece. Yeah, that tracks. Um, I mean, the early 2000s when the, yeah, the Eagles went to three straight days. Yeah, or four straight. The Eagles um, went to four straight, and then the year they won the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, the, they the, lost the Niners the since. And, well. Oh, and, uh, the twenty, last year. Yeah. yeah, Donovan's last year, and then the the twenty ten to twelve, the Harbaugh era of the yeah. Niners, and then this this six year stretch, yeah. stretch with Kyle. So, yeah, man, we're the, good, we're, good for us, man. Our teams are dominating the NFC, and we have we Take have that one, everyone else, and we have one Super Bowl to show for it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> between, yeah, thanks. Between you're carrying teams. the torch. <laughs> hey, this could be the year, man. This could be the year. It's uh, it's exciting. It's shaping up to be like I think we talked about it on the pod when it first came out, but you saw that the, uh, like the conspiracy theory with all the Super oh, Bowl the logo? logos. Yeah, it's, I did. I gotta say, man, like I've never been the believer of the script or anything, but that's a little weird to have Cincinnati and, and the hey. Rams and have it be blue and orange. And then last year, the green and red. And now this year we have the purple and red. It's a little, it's Just a little saying. odd. Just yeah. saying. Did you see, uh, there was a local, um, my wife sent me this uh, reel on Instagram. There was a local CBS affiliate um, that was talking about the the performances at the Super Bowl. And it was like Usher uh, and, and Post Malone uh, at the halftime and then Reba McIntyre doing the uh, the national anthem uh, oh, for the McIntyre Super Bowl. Reba doing on, the national on, anthem? Yeah. And it was uh, for, the, for the Super Bowl game between the Baltimore Ravens and San Francisco 49ers on February 11th. And, and some guy on Instagram stitch, he was like, really, you're going to tell me there's not a script that this CBS affiliate in Memphis was. And I was like, come on guy. But yeah, it is funny, man. And then I got to uh, looking at the, uh, going back to the logos thing. I got to looking at, well, last year, what was the, uh, the ratio of green to red? Cause that might be an indicator of who's going to win. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Who was there more green or more red? And it was there more, blue. it was more, more green. Orange. There was more green and less red. And in this one, there's more purple and less red. So, hey, you know, I'm just saying. Well, uh, you know, the the we there's a there's still some football left to be played. The Ravens do look ridiculously good. Uh, the Niners struggling a little bit and losing 
arguably they're probably what one of their top two or three most important players uh, who is I, last I saw today 50-50 for Debo Samuel whether or not he's going to play next week. Uh, the Detroit Lions grinding out these wins, grinding out these games. They know how to win close games. Pass rush, I saw Aiden Hutchinson has eight sacks in four games. Um, dude is playing outrageously good football right now. Jared Goff playing the best football of his career. Young rookies coming in clutch. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I to me, like I feel way better about the Ravens going into Kansas or uh, the Chiefs going into Kansas City, but the the Ravens winning that game even with Mahomes than I do about the Niners. Um, simply because of just I, I didn't think the Niners looked great. And the Debo question mark is definitely a big deal. I think the Niners defense, particularly the pass rush, is not the pass rush that we've a lot of us have thought it was. Uh, I think you can make the case that the two best offensive lines in football this year have been Green Bay and Detroit. And after what we saw the Packers do, kind of neutralizing that off that defensive line from the Niners, there's some holes in that secondary. I think Detroit's live wire in this game. And then on the other end, it's like Patrick Mahomes, like that dude. Like again, we're just never gonna bet against him. Like I couldn't do it again in this game. When we when we talked about Buffalo and Kansas City, I love Buffalo. I was rooting for Buffalo. I would have loved to have been wrong, but that's what Patrick Mahomes does. And now he's proven he can do it on the road. So there's a lot to get into with this. We're gonna go through chronological. We're gonna hit all four games. We'll get you guys on the on your way to the rest of the week. Uh, in the meantime, no real coaching news yet. Still, no coach has been hired, which is. Uh, other than Antonio Pierce, I believe, got uh, named yeah. the official head coach <laughs> since we last talked. So shout out to the the Raiders doing the right thing, keeping Antonio Pierce, uh, making you know making good on the mistake that they made a few years ago with Rich Bizaccia, um, to now bring in uh, Antonio Pierce to keep him on board. I think it's a perfect hire. I'm sure because of the lack of experience, they were able to get him uh, at a cheaper deal as opposed to many other coaching staffs, which – um, I think that's kind of important for the Raiders given their financial situation. So good for the Raiders to hold on to that. Other than that, it looks like Sirianni's keeping his job. It was announced there will be fired a, Desai though, right? They fired Desai. Patricia uh, also, I don't think has officially been fired, but he will be on the way out. Uh, Brian Johnson is also going to be fired, but they want to wait until he, if he were to get a head coaching job, he's interviewed for several the Eagles would get a compensatory or two compensatory picks. Uh, so I think they're just waiting to see how that hand like, kind of goes out. And then they're going to fire Brian Johnson. Um, but it looks like we're going to have new coaching staff in Philly under Nick Sirianni. So the Cowboys and Eagles both holding on to their coaches. Other than that, Belichick's had multiple interviews. Um, and I, I don't understand that. What what is Belichick's interview process? So from what I've heard, like, I don't get it. <laughs> from what I've heard, Arthur Blank wants to hire him, like just flat out wants to yeah. hire Belichick. Ar Arthur Done. should have a blank check. How about that? Nice. Uh, but the front office of era Atlanta does not want to hire Belichick, and understandably because the front office realizes the second Belichick comes in there, they're going to lose a lot of their power and a lot of their say. So they don't want Belichick in there. Arthur Blank desperately does. I have a feeling he's not going to end up there, but I'll give you a place that we could see Bill Belichick talking about the coaching carousel here. What if, hypothetically, a new head coaching opportunity opened up that wasn't previously opened before this week? 
perhaps a team that was already in the AFC East, perhaps a team that some are calling the Philadelphia 76ers of the NFL, Mm -hmm. the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Now, after everything that's happened with Sean McDermott, the the 9-11 terrorist stuff that came out late in the season, which granted, they I believe they went seven and one after that story came out. Mm-hmm. At some point with McDermott, right? You fire Leslie Frazier last year, you let Sean McDermott run out run the defense, you fire Ken Dorsey, and you hire uh uh what Joe, Joe Brady, Brady to be yeah. the offensive coordinator. The offense looked good. The defense had a lot of injuries. I don't know if you can necessarily fully blame McDermott. But it does feel like a situation where it's like, I don't know, man, when so much has gone wrong. I know McDermott as a whole has been a really, really good head coach for the Bills. I mean, he took over for Rex Ryan. Like, think about it like that. Like, Rex Ryan was still coaching, (laughs) you know, when Sean McDermott took over for that uh, for that team. I just I wonder if it's gotten stale. Yeah, and, well, and how the, many of these playoff losses can you handle without deciding, you know what, we need to make a change? It's the same argument in Dallas, right? That we said, why would you fire McCarthy? He's been 12 and 5 in the regular season. Yes, but yeah. he's, he has a ridiculously bad playoff record with the Cowboys. So if you're the Bills, I understand because you've been in this spot for, for how long? Over the last, what, five, six years, especially with Josh Allen, that it's like, Dude, how many years of this are we going to waste with a a young quarterback, a quarterback that's that's you know not getting any younger, especially the way that he runs the football um, in Josh Allen, a- and they've invested a lot to build that defense around him. Granted, they all got hurt this year and they were limping with like two running ba- or linebackers rather uh, in, in this game in the uh, in the divisional round. So. Uh, you can't fault McDermott there, but like, yeah, I, if I'm a Bills fan, I'm going, how how long are we going to settle for for this? Like, yeah, we're good in the regular season. Yeah, somehow it was different this year, and we figured out how to win at the end of the year and got us in, in good position to have a, uh, at least home field advantage through the divisional round uh, and then come up short every time. Like, how, in, in this stretch, how many title or conference title games have they been to? Zero. They've been to one. A one, yeah. Okay. They were in one, the, the 13 <clears throat> seconds game. Yeah. I mean, look. Oh, that's right. Yeah. In, in, well, that yeah, that was the was that the 13 seconds game? It was the 2020 season. So that might have yes. been divisional yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, since Josh Allen, after his rookie year uh, in 2018, 2019 lost in the wild card round, 2020 lost in the conference championship, and then 2021, 2022, and 2023 have lost in the divisional round. To keep in mind, his cap hit during those years were 4.8 million, 5.9. 16.4 his cap hit next year in 20 this year but the next you know season in 2024 jumps up to 47.1 million dollars yeah. so your window to win before the big contract came like kits has closed which means that's everything's going to fall on um uh who's the G, the GM there um Brandon Bean, right? Not Billy Bean, Brandon Bean. Um, and and I, that's how literally that's how I remember it. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah it's not enough. Billy Bean, it's Brandon Bean. Um, <laughs> and and Sean McDermott. And look, I think Sean McDermott is a good coach. I do. But just like a lot of good coaches who have good runs, and it's an, an inarguable to say, I mean, this is 
six years, five years, going on to six years of this team being a very good football team that has disappointed in the playoffs. Say what you will about McCarthy. McCarthy's only been three years, right? This feels more like the Jason Garrett era with Dallas. Yeah. Now, granted, like Garrett would always be good for that one, like four and 12 year that was mixed in or, or seven and nine year that was mixed in. But to me, this is more like the Jason Garrett where it's like, you've been doing this for long enough. And I, I really think you like holding on to Joe Brady would be big because I think Joe Brady's an excellent offensive coordinator. I feel like the offense has definitely taken a jump since they bumped him up. I don't know if they're going to move on from him. Again, it's hard to to justify that when, again, you're looking at a guy who's double-digit wins five consecutive years, gotten you up to a conference championship, gotten you mm-hmm. the divisional round four out of five years. But also, it, it's starting to turn into what we saw during the Brady era. And this, I think, is more of a, um, a, a, a giving of flowers to a guy like Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. who has turned into Tom Brady. You know, I mean, we saw Peyton Manning for years be stuck under the thumb of the New England Patriots. We saw the same thing with Phil Rivers. You know, eventually a Big Ben cracked through, Flacco cracked through. But how many, and and obviously Peyton did too, but how many Super Bowls do those guys win if it's not for Tom Brady? Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's fair. And, and to me, I think you look at this, I think you can say it about <laughs> Lamar, you can say it about Joe Burrow, you can say it about... Josh Allen, like, you know, granted, like Burrow still has plenty, you know, he hasn't been playing as long, right? He was drafted in 2020. These guys were, you know, Lamar and Josh Allen were in 2018. So it's a little bit different, but still you look at that and it's like, those are the guys, the Rivers, the Big Bens, the, the Peyton Mannings to, you know, what Tom, to what Tom Brady was as the same thing as what these guys are to Patrick Mahomes. And yeah. I think at some what point, <laughs> I think at some point you just look and be like, you need to build a team. And that's what the bills were doing there. The last three years were building teams specifically to beat the chiefs and they've been able to beat them in the regular season, but it doesn't really matter if you can't beat them in the playoffs. And that to me is a testament of what, how good Patrick Mahomes is, how good Andy Reid is the front office there in Kansas city, what they've been able to build, what they've been able to do with this guy who is good with no matter who, no matter who's around him. But you know, Stefan Diggs has been, semi-public about not being the most happy in Buffalo. The defense has a ton of injuries. The defense is, I mean, they invested how much money in Von Miller. I mean, like I understand like the dude was a Super Bowl MVP. He tore his ACL last year. was not the same guy coming back, but we're talking about a 33, 34 year old pass rusher. Who's well past his prime. He can still give you some good reps, but think about how much money you're paying him with that contract extension, you know? So, you know, there's some moves to be made to give themselves some cap flexibility, especially considering that we're going to be paying Josh Allen $47 million this upcoming year. At least that's what the cap hit's going to be. Um, I'm sure they're going to be able to adjust some of that into a signing bonus and get some of that guaranteed money off, and then it's going to help the cap. I mean, these guys are wizards. They know how to, to you know, uh, reflect on it all. But yeah, to me, I don't know how many how many years in a row you can go with Sean McDermott with the same result. And still trug forward, you know, it's it's, it's, it's an intriguing question because, you know, the, the Steelers are kind of going through that, too, right now. Where It's like, all right, Tomlin has 17 winning seasons in a row, but like. What have we got to show for it? Yeah, you got one in the last decade, at least, you know, I mean, I think they've been to one AFC championship game, one Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. at, at this point, like, I, I don't know where that line is. 
you know, yeah. to, to where it, you cut it off and you go, hey, we need something different because you also run the risk of like finding a good head coach is hard. It, and that's the thing is like, it can't just be something different. The Belichick thing is intriguing to Buffalo because it's like, hey, they got the team. Those players on that roster, they've got that. What they don't have, clearly, you can point to with data, is the ability to get them that entire team bought in and over the hump to get something right in the playoffs. Maybe it's that. Maybe they're just cursed because last night, missing wide right, I was like, oh, God, it's the 90s all over again. Right? Scott like, Norwood. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what enough, one of the most uh, famous James Madison University alums, Scott Norwood, um, got brought Infamous, back up again really. last night. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> And, and it sucks, too, because Tyler Bass is a good kicker and has been for a number of years. Like, this isn't oh, yeah. like a new new thing with him. Like, he is a very good kicker. To miss that kick, and that kick had no shot. You know, it, from the second it left his foot, you knew. Oh, it looked like one of my drives. I was right going to say, it's like oh, every, it's every going single right. one of us has, <laughs> has gone, has been, a you know, on, on a tee. I'm going to get after this ball, this big, giant, wide-open fairway off the club face you know it's into the woods and it's gone right that's right and and watching tyler bass like i was just like that that's exactly how i felt was like the second it came off his foot got up in the air and just gone um so look if i'm buffalo i i think you run it back because i think you stumbled on something really really good with joe brady and yes you could go hire a new head coach and keep joe brady but that's so hard being the guy that the the GM says, "Hey, this is your offensive coordinator to a new coach who wants to come yeah. in, put his Especially fingerprints like all over it." You yeah. know, I I could see Belichick coming in and being okay with that because Belichick isn't a play caller, you know. But especially when you look at the guys that are out there, Bobby Slowick and uh, Ben Johnson and, and so many of these guys who are out who are play callers, they want their offense to be run. And McDermott has been like, "Hey, Joe Brady, this is your offense, run it." And after what we saw with him in Carolina, which was failed, but we also saw the upsides with him when he was at LSU, I think he's a damn good coach. What I think Buffalo could benefit from is having a defensive coordinator and not having Sean McDermott be their defensive coordinator. Let him control the the game. And then it's going to take a really big effort from the, the front office to add pieces. Because look, I mean, like I love Matt Milano. I love Pryor. I love some of the guys they have there. But those guys aren't getting any younger, you know, yeah. and, and, and the injuries this, that they had this year. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows what Matt Milano comes back? Right. I mean, his yeah. was a pectoral tear, I think, for Milano. So at least no, you come he, had back. The, he had the ACL. I don't think he, it was. He had the leg injury. Yeah. I thought it was. Was it a leg injury? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? I thought it was his chest. We're going to get a Zach Parker on this. Um, so, uh, oh, it was a lower body injury. Why did I think? It was a, but because they had oh, no. twelve so injuries, so it wasn't an ACL. He, he fractured his leg. Oh, okay, that's what it was. It was a, it was a leg fracture. I, I was gonna say I didn't think it was ACL, um, but still coming off of a fractured leg. I mean, I'm, that's doesn't seem like it's gonna be a lot easier. At least that ha- injury happened early enough in the season that you feel like you're gonna have a chance to get him back. Um, you know, and at full swing come the time next season starts. But Tredavious White's had multiple ACL injuries, right? Or at least an ACL and an Achilles. Um, yeah, they, they need Douglas, to figure out ways. Not getting any younger. Yeah, I mean, and I, that was a great trade for them. If you and keep him. I think he has yeah. one more year left on his contract, but that's probably going to be a pretty penny on their end. So again, it's like, how how much of this are you going to be able to salvage? 
and they're going to have to do what what Kansas City's done, which is just start killing it in the draft. And and the one thing we talked about Kansas City's defense all year and how much better it's looked. A big reason why is because of the way that they nailed the draft. Legarius Sneed getting him in in free agency to come in on a cheap deal and be really really good physical up front. And then Trent McDuffie was the end of the first round pick two years ago. Yeah, that dude is a fucking Pacheco stud. On yeah, the offense? obviously Pacheco on offense, but Nick Bolton yeah. uh, on defense. He was like a third, fourth Carloftis, round pick. Carloftis really was an end of the first round draft pick. They have him at the. I think him and McDuffie went in the same draft, and they were like three or four picks apart. Mm-hmm. Like they've nailed those picks to help give support. And look, Kansas City's going to have to pay Chris Jones, right? He signed that one year deal, and he's going to be a free agent here. So if he wants to come back or if he wants to get paid. That could be a huge, you know, huge loss for them in terms of what they could do, especially if the Chiefs go on another run and win the Super Bowl this year. You know, that means what well, Chris Jones has three Super Bowl rings. He's looking for his payday. And there's going to be a team out there who's going to make him the highest paid interior defensive lineman in football. Mm-hmm. And he will be happy for it. So I, I don't know, man. I just I look at where Buffalo's at now that they're going to have to deal with the cap issues with the Josh Allen contract. And it's moments like these that like, look, say what you will about the Eagles, but like, I'm stoked that we have some like Howie Roseman who manipulated that contract with Jalen Hurts to make it as team friendly as possible. And Hurts did the same thing back to make it as team friendly. Jalen Hurts doesn't have a single cap hit until like the last year of his contract. That's even close to what Josh Allen's cap hit is this year. And what happens now with Buffalo moving forward, if you run it back with McDermott, you got to nail the draft. You got to do what the Lions did. You got to do what the Chiefs have done. Add these pieces in that are going to help you. And if you don't, it's you're you're gonna start to fall off, man. And we saw Phillip Rivers have years where they were eight and eight and eight, nine and seven, you know, with the Chargers. Like we and then also even 14 and two. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then they have years where they're <laughs> unbelievable. This is a stretch right now where I think we need to see what Buffalo does moving forward. I think they will stay with McDermott. I think they can ultimately be benefited by having a defensive coordinator. But if they were to move on from McDermott. I think Bill Belichick in Buffalo would be awesome because Belichick's basically at that point going to be guaranteed. I mean, what he could do to coach up that defense in in a week to week basis, especially if you let Joe Brady be the offensive coordinator, you just let him run wild. There's a lot of stuff that can happen with that team because the one thing I'll say about that game, and we will talk about that game specifically is Josh Allen is not the problem. People no. are talking about it because people are really dumb and the TV conversations are dumb because it gets ratings when they're talking to dumb people. Josh Allen is not the problem. That dude single-handedly carried that team on his fucking back. You know, and and if if Stefan Diggs can catch that deep ball on a 60-yard strike, one of the right best deep balls we saw, probably the best deep ball we saw thrown all <clears throat> season. You it was know, like 70 if, yards in the air. Yeah, it that was, was insane. launched. If if Stefan Diggs catches that ball, we're having totally different conversations. There were a couple of bad drops, yeah. On wide if open. they don't run the fake pump with Demar Hamlin, yeah. which I'm excited to get to that conversation too. Like <laughs> if we're talking about a totally different ball game. Josh Allen's not the problem. No. And to me, Agreed. I don't know if McDermott is the problem, but I also don't know if McDermott <clears throat> is good enough to get you up to the next level. And that's what the 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 Bills are gonna have to figure out here. Again, I think he stays. I think overwhelmingly he's gonna stay. But if I'm a Buffalo fan, I could very easily be swayed into saying, hey, maybe we roll the dice on somebody else. Maybe we bring in Belichick. Maybe we bring in Mike Vrabel. You know, maybe, you know, think about some of the coaches that are out there right now that you know could get you to the same level of wins in the regular season 
but could be a difference maker come playoffs. And that's what I think yep. the, the Bills are missing. All right, let's jump into these games. Oh, here, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll we'll recap the games. Uh, we had four games again. We'll start with Saturday's game, so we'll work away to Sunday. We'll get you guys on your way to the rest of the week. All right, Saturday's games. Start off. Texans, Ravens, interesting first half. Uh, tied 10-10 going into halftime before Baltimore and Lamar Jackson woke up and said, nope, this is our game. We're going to dominate the entire second half. And that's exactly what they did. Um, no matter what the outcome of this game was, the Texans are massive winners this season. C.J. Stroud, you landed on a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback who led you to a playoff to the playoffs and a playoff win uh, in addition to a division championship. The Texans have a really, really bright future. They have a shitload of cap money to spend. Look at T. Higgins. Look at some of the guys who are going to be free agents this year. Maybe even a Chris Jones if he were to hit free agency. Bring in some guys around them to help bolster that D-line. You have Will Anderson, who's going to be a stud for the next 10 years. C.J. Stroud's going to be a stud for the next 10, 15 years. D'Amico Ryans is going to be really good until he has one or two bad seasons, and then they're going to want him out of there. But in the meantime, you have a really, really good head coach at a really fun young team. It wasn't your time. It wasn't supposed to be your time. You're the, he was the youngest quarterback to ever win a playoff game in C.J. Stroud. Can't say enough great things about the Texans. But this game was about the Baltimore Ravens. The Houston Texans scored touchdowns and offensive touchdowns in every single game this year, except for two. Do you know what those two games were, Scotty? Yeah, the first and the last against the both first against game Baltimore. against Baltimore in week one <laughs> and this past weekend against Baltimore on Saturday afternoon. It is uh, insane how good this Ravens defense plays, the physicality uh, the, I, I and this is without Marlon Humphrey. This is with banged up guys all throughout this this defense team. Kyle Hamilton's banged up. He was questionable going into this game, and yet it didn't matter, man. It did not matter, and you're going to get Marlon Humphrey back in a time when you really, really need him. This team plays with a level of physicality on the defensive side of the ball that feels like a classic Ravens team. Like, they play that when you say, you know, we always say, like, play Raider football, play Steeler football, play Ravens football, like, it's usually based off of stuff that's happened in the past. Like when's the last time the Raiders played Raider football? It was like 1986, you know, like we haven't had that in a long time. Same thing with the Steelers. play Steeler football. Well, when's the last time? And since the last time that they won a Super Bowl and played Steeler football, you know, you had multiple opportunities, you know, multiple times there where it was like, oh yeah, now we're going to run the killer B offense with Ben and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, where we're going to spread everything out and have three, four wide receiver sets and make it really hard for teams to defend us. That's not Steeler football, but fan bases have this like idea in their mind where they're like, oh, well, this is what, you know, Raiders Steelers football is. This Ravens team is actually playing Ravens football, talking about like Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, Ed Reed, Haloti Nada, like those those apex Todd Heap type of you know Ravens teams where they would just bully you on both sides of the line of scrimmage, the defense guys flying around. It's incredible to me that the Ravens have this level of physicality and that they're able to have replicated it. And a lot of it goes to John Harbaugh, who's never phased when it comes to who he is as a coach. Right. We've talked about, you know, even going into this year, like, hey, if the Ravens have a down year, well, could this be the end of John Harbaugh as a head coach of the Ravens? Nope. He just bought himself another four years minimum no matter what happens the rest of the season because of how good this Ravens team has been. And I mean, look, I, I think we've, we've said it now throughout the season when they played Seattle and we thought Seattle was good when they played the lions and we thought the lions were good when they played San Francisco, when everyone's talking about how great San Francisco is 
all they did was absolutely body those teams. And I, I think the more we are watching this Baltimore team develop, the more we realize, like, I don't think there's another team that's in their stratosphere right now. They beat Detroit 38 to six. They beat Seattle 37 to three. So quick math, that's a combined, what, 65 or no, 75 to nine in those two games. Add in the San Francisco game, that puts you at 108 to 28 in those three games. The three games against NFC teams where we thought they were going to get legitimately challenged. When we thought Seattle was one of those teams, when we thought Detroit was going to go in there and give them a game, when we thought San Francisco and that game on Christmas Day was going to be the battle ahead, we have, what was it, 100 and, 109 to, to 28? What did I just say? Whatever it is. 108 like, to 28. 108 to 28. I mean, <clears throat> holy shit. I mean, that to me is is the encapsulation of just how good this Baltimore team has been, which is that in every big game, you know, the Miami game the week after, if we want to add that onto it, 56 to 19, right? 108 plus 56, that gets us to what, 164? 164 to plus uh, 30, 47? 164 to 47. I mean, their four biggest games this year, not including the playoffs, just the regular season, they win 164 to 47. I mean, that's insane. We're talking about a 120-point gap in the four biggest games that we thought Baltimore was going to play this year. It is an absolute testament to what John Harbaugh has done, to the team they've built, to the job that Todd Munkin has done as the offensive coordinator, to Lamar's acceptance, to his new role, adding wide receivers and legitimate weapons, doing that two of those games without Mark Andrews, and Mark Andrews even being back here is nowhere close to the guy that we thought he was going to be getting the most out of Isaiah likely adding in Dalvin cook just to have another guy out of the backfield. The Ravens are a fucking wagon dude. And they play with attitude. They play like they have the worst record in football with the way that they play the energy that they play in the underdog mentality. And yet they have to be the best team in football right now. And they still have to get through Kansas city and Patrick Mahomes, which is a tall task. And whether it's Detroit or San Francisco, two teams that they've both beaten soundly this year, those aren't going to be easy games either. Just can't say enough good things about how good this Baltimore Ravens football team is right now. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it, it's it's hard when they've unleashed Lamar the way that they have. Uh, he's going to likely win his second MVP uh, in the in the next two weeks here. Um, and then, and then what that defense is doing, like you said, it's just it's up and down the lineup. There's 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 not a bad position uh, or not a bad spot at that lineup. The only thing I like, I'd like to see them go up against again, especially in the po- this deep in the postseason, against a really really good offensive line. Um, and they're going to get that next week, I think, in Kansas City. Uh, that'll give them a challenge <clears throat> because their pass rush is not elite um, still. Uh, for for as good as that that defense looks, it's really good on the second level in the back end. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be harder to establish the run. But when you're back there with Patrick Mahomes, you know, like who knows what can happen, um, especially if he's out there extending plays. So, uh, we'll see. I, I just I agree with you, man. There's there's not a whole lot that they they do wrong. Um, I don't know. It, it to me it comes down to to like you know if you're asking the question who can beat them. Um, it seems it seems like one of those destiny things. Like the team of destiny this year is going to win, um, whether that's Baltimore, Kansas City, San Francisco, or, or Detroit. Um, 
we're we're gonna be sitting there on on Monday after the Super Bowl talking about how like whoever won that game, whatever the outcome is, is like, oh yeah, this is like we should have seen this, <laughs> you know, uh, or that we did see it all year long and that like that was like obvious, right? Um, so yeah, I, I I think they're right there. I think they're they're in an echelon that uh, is gonna be tough to beat no matter uh, no matter who they're playing, and they look like a team on a mission. So. Uh, you know, one more game against a really good team, and then they're uh, they're in the dance in Vegas. But uh, yeah, they're the team. I I mean, they're the team that scares me the most right now. Yeah, as as a fan with my team still in it, <laughs> I, I just I look at what Baltimore can do. I mean, how many sacks do you think they had in this game? Um, uh, three, four, zero. They were that dominant defensively without having to get after the quarterback. And a huge part of that is because of how good their secondary is. I mean, Ronald Darby is like, I, I saw a statistic that he had like the he gave up the least amount of completions this year, um, least amount of explosive plays this year. I mean, Ronald Darby was like basically out of the league, you know, and they bring him in with Mike McDonald in this in this team. And it's like it, you look at all these coaches who are getting head coaching opportunities or head coaching interviews, Mike McDonald's name, where the hell's, where's his name? You know, I think he's gotten one interview maybe. Um, But like, why aren't more people talking about Mike McDonald? I mean, the culture that this dude is setting here, building up this defense is outrageous. Marcus Williams in the secondary maxed with Kyle Hamilton. It's the experience of Marcus Williams tied up with the young explosive playmaker and Kyle Hamilton. Linebacking core is unbelievable. Yeah, obviously, you know, you're set at at safety or at cornerback with Marlon Ham- uh, Marlon Humphrey, Ronald Darby on the other side. Uh, and then they also – there's another uh, – who's the other cornerback that they have that they've been using? Um, well, e- either way, it's mainly been the two of them, but they have good play out of the slot. They get enough pressure between Kyle Van Noy, again, veteran guy who – it's kind of that Chris Long role, I call it, where it's just like – Guy at the end of his career, you're holding him to 20 to 25 snaps a game, but those 20 to 25 snaps are like big-time, impactful snaps. Uh, Jadavian Clowney doing what he's done his whole career, which is just get after the fucking quarterback, create pressure, even if you're not getting home. Uh, Adafe Owe, you know, your boy from Penn State, who's been really, really good. Um, I was trying to think, too. Remember, they drafted – who was the other edge rusher when Aiden Hutchinson – was at Michigan. Remember, he tore his uh, Achilles during his pro day. I don't know. He went to. Uh, no, he was the Michigan guy. And I, I, I'm not seeing him on the stat list. So maybe they're not playing playing him a ton. Um, oh, yeah. He tore his Achilles and. Uh, remember the pro day? Like at the combine, yeah. yeah I was just thinking day, about yeah, him the other day. I'm pulling up their depth chart now because I'm curious. Um, doesn't look like he's actually on their roster right now. Um, unless he's injured. Ajabo. Ajabo. Oh yeah, David, David Ajabo. Ajabo. Yeah. Yeah, right now. Oh, there he is. Yeah. So he's on IR right now, actually. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, Trenton Simpson, Malik Harrison. I mean, they're just they're getting the most out of these guys who are are shot. But like, yeah, I mean, Adafe Owe, and then of course, like the the just like any good Baltimore defense, like the core of it and what makes it so special is the linebacker. Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen together are just 
I mean, it's thunder and lightning, man. These guys are just absolute monsters. We saw what two out of the four games this weekend end with a, a linebacking linebacker interception that sealed the game. Right. Yeah. And, and the and other it, one, it, I mean, you can make the argument that that's the second best linebacking room in the, in the, uh, in the NFL. I mean, you can make the argument that it's the Francisco. best. I mean, that's yeah. that's Fred Warner to me is still the best linebacker in football. Yeah, Dre, Warner, Greenlaw, Dre Greenlaw, yeah. Dre Greenlaw gets burnt a little bit, uh, and he can get a little bit overly aggressive, but nobody lays a hit in the NFL like Dre Greenlaw. Yeah, and then Roke, but then again, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen are are just as Same good. Thing, and, yeah. Yeah. and you look at you know two of the top five, two of the top three defenses in the NFL are both stacked at the linebacker position, a position that's been overlooked by a lot of teams. And the one thing that the Ravens and the Niners do, which is something that gets overlooked a lot is they both tackle ridiculously well, like just being able to consistently tackle and wrap guys up and bring them down. Don't give up those extra two or three yards because you're bringing the guy down in that moment. That is a really, really valuable skill that you don't get a chance that you just don't see a lot in the modern NFL teams that excel so much at that that it ends up being like difference making. Right. And that's what we see with the Baltimore Ravens and with San Francisco. Um, to me, I think Baltimore is the favorite for a reason. They should be yeah. the favorite to win the I Super just, Bowl. I Lamar, can't get that. I can't get ahead. that Rams game out of my head. Like, I don't know what it is. It's like an earwig that like every time I think that the Ravens are the best team in the world right now or playing like the best team in the world. I'm like, yeah, but they played like crap. Like Look, their the worst one, game, and maybe it was just a one-off. Like every team has a bad day, for sure. Um, but the one thing, I mean, look, they lost that game to the Browns. Points too. I mean, look, so. they lost to the Colts this year. I mean, they, they've lost four games. They're not unbeatable. You know, it's not like we're talking about the Patriots in in twenty. You know, or is it twenty two thousand eight? Oh seven, right? The undefeated Patriots who lost in the Super Bowl to the Giants. Like we're not talking about them. Like they're that level, but the way that this team has played the last two months indicates that, Hey, this team has hit another gear and that Rams game. Trust me. It's in my head too. I think that game's more of a Testament about how good the Rams were. You know, I think the Rams were a damn good football team. And the one thing that they did in that game that I think is if you're going to hang with Baltimore, the thing you have to be able to do is you have to be able to establish a consistent run game. Whatever you cannot let Patrick queen and Roquan Smith feel comfortable to make plays. Right. If you run the ball at them, get the push at the line of scrimmage because their their defensive line is is solid. But that's the biggest weakness of this team. Right. Of the defense, which is saying a lot because like their defensive line is still really good. But the one weakness that they have is that like you can get a push against them. And and that defensive line knows that you have Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen behind you to flow, make tackles, meet guys at the line of scrimmage. But if it's an Isaiah Pacheco right? A guy who's a hard runner or an elite yeah. guy like Christian McCaffrey, who's just impossible to bring down. Then I think you have a legitimate chance to run the football against these guys. Yeah. And that's but, the th- like, even, even going up the gut, like Damian Pierce, all they did running him was like, just go up the middle. And it's like, yeah, that's not really going to work. But Houston was not a great running team all year. Like there was a stretch there where Devin Singletary was really, really solid running the football. He had like the second or third most rushing yards in the league you know, from like the halfway point for there was like a two month stretch where he was one of the top running backs in the league, but that's not going up against this Ravens team where it's like, you need to be able to run the ball downhill, get that push at the line of scrimmage. Because once you do that, you are forcing the linebackers to hesitate for that split second. Be honest. Right. Right? It's, it's, Hey, like if if you run it down their throat too many times, those guys are going to start to take that half step. And 
In the NFL, all you need is a half step for Travis Kelsey or for George Kittle or Debo, whoever's it, whoever it's going to be, you know, Amon Rossine Brown or Sam Laporta, whoever it's going to be. You just need that little half step to get by some of these guys, particularly when we're talking about linebackers. What makes Fred Warner and Roquan, these guys so special, is they are so athletic and they're so fast and they're so good at being able to get back into coverage when they need to. At some point, you will get burnt a little bit. And that's what the Rams did in that game, which was that when the fourth quarter came around, they gave the ball to Kyron Williams. They leaned on that offensive line. And then they took their shots to their explosive wide receivers. And without... Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup in that game. There's no shot, you know, and an experienced quarterback, by the way, in Matthew Stafford. There's no shot that a team doesn't come in. That was like a perfect formula of how you can hang with this Ravens team. And I don't, I think that the Niners can do it. I think that Detroit might be able to do it. But then even if you play a perfect game offensively, your defense still has to deal with Lamar, who is an enigma in, in a class of his own when it comes to trying to defend that guy. The running game, which put up 230 yards, 100 of which was behind Lamar, 66 from Gus Edwards, 40 from Gus Edwards, and uh, or Justice Hill, and then Gus Edwards. And then, oh, yeah, Dalvin Cook's there now, too, who broke off a big run in a big-time moment. Now, it was the only thing he really did in that game. But that's just what you have. You have just a little bit of extra push there, and you can't sleep on the wide receivers anymore because it's not Willie Sneed running routes for you now it's zay flowers and obj and guy and even nelson aguilar who caught like eight balls for 70 something yards in the super bowl against the pats like nelson aguilar people were like trying to clown philly fans being like oh this is the guy you made fun of it's like we love nelson aguilar without nelson aguilar the eagles don't win the super bowl in 2017 he was phenomenal in in that game yeah (laughs) i mean look we made jokes about him but nelson aguilar had an awesome awesome year the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and Eagles fans don't forget that. Nelson Aguilar can come up with big plays if he's when he's called upon in the postseason. I just think there's too many things you're worried about defending where you have to play not just a perfect offensive game to really get this Ravens defense uncomfortable, but you have to then turn around and play a perfect defensive game, and that is asking a lot out of your team. You have to play an A offensive and an A defensive, or defensive game, or – Hope that it's one of those few games where Lamar just makes a really dumb decision. But in this game, 16 for 22 and 152 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, the dude was practically perfect. 100 on the ground, too. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's just through the air. Then you add the extra 100 that he has on the ground, and that's why there is no one in the league like Lamar Jackson to try to defend. So it makes him so, so difficult. And if there was like a fully healthy Bengals team or fully healthy Pittsburgh team or teams that have experience playing Lamar moving like going into this game, I would feel better about like, hey, this team has a chance, legitimate chance to beat Baltimore. I don't know if if the Chiefs do or not. I, I think they do, but I don't know. I, it's going to be fascinating to see. But right now, Baltimore yeah. is the favorite for a reason because they, I mean, for as, as slow as it took. And, and the biggest thing too is it's like, Playoff Lamar is a thing, right? This was like what his first or second career playoff win. Second, second career playoff game. Yeah. Um. I mean, we've seen him choke in the playoffs in the past. To see Lamar bounce back after a slow first half and look perfect in the second half is everything you need to know about where this Ravens team is right now. And they, they, I mean, once that second half kicked off, it was over. It was absolutely over and the defense was not giving up a single point so it was just a matter of like hey lamar settle in you'll be fine pull it out in the second half and we'll be good and that's exactly what happened all right let's talk about your team scotty niners 24 packers 21 
great football game. Awesome, fun, entertaining football game. Uh, some concerns, I would imagine, of the Niners between Debo and, let's just say, look, the Brock Purdy of it all. How are you feeling after uh, coming away with a win there in the divisional round against the Packers? I'm good. That's a that's a tough-fought game. That's a game you need, I think, in the postseason. Um, you know, it would be one thing if it was, uh, if it was uh, yeah, Brock looked off, but we couldn't get anything in the run game going, and the defense was giving up big plays, and somehow, miraculously, we pulled off a win. It wasn't that at all. <clears throat> in fact, it was, you know, I mean, it was, a, it was a lot of that for most of three quarters. But then in the fourth quarter, when we started to figure it out, um, it, it, it became apparent that uh, that they know how to win without Debo, uh, which is something that we have scarcely seen all season long. In fact, uh, in that three-game stretch where we didn't have Debo, we went from uh, um, having – with Debo on the field, 7.1 yards per play down to 5.7 yards per play uh, without Debo on the field. Uh, so so that was a big difference, and they didn't win any of those three games in that stretch. What they figured out in the fourth quarter, seemingly, is that they're able to play without Debo. And, like, look, if he's, if he's there in the championship game, it's a huge factor, um, clearly. I'm not discounting that uh, because, in many ways, the offense runs through him. Right with all the different things that he can do, the dynamicism that he brings, um, but for for Brock to go to have the night that he had, um, he was what twenty fifty three percent completion percentage uh, leading up to that final drive, and then on the final drive, six of seven, forty seven yards, leading a twelve play sixty nine yard drive. Uh, that's the kind of uh, you could talk about all all you uh, stats the rest of the night how he looked uh, the other three quarters. That's the kind of drive that you talk about in the DVD, where you're going, "Shit, man, that was a clutch moment." Okay, that's a clutch drive from a guy who we hadn't seen that before from Brock. We hadn't seen him lead a team down the field before in in the in the final five five six minutes of a game to put the team on his back and, and go get a win. That to me is the most encouraging part of all of it because now, I mean, these are reps, right? Like talking about all season long, we've been talking about, oh, he's not the MVP because he can't eat like, like all of this. Oh, well, why, who knows what would have happened in the championship game last year? Oh, well, we don't know what the, what, what it looks like in the playoffs because, uh, or in the, in the regular season, really, because he's got Debo and he's got Ayuk and he's got CMC and he's got Kittle and he's got this offensive line in front of him. It's like, no, that dude put his, the team on his back led them down the field for five minutes and made an absolute clutch drive, the likes of which I haven't seen since Steve Young or Joe Montana were playing playoff football games. So that's what I'm taking away from the game because that, that to me, those reps are invaluable. And, and moving forward, like, yeah, Detroit's going to be a tough test, no doubt about it. But when you when you think about, especially in the postseason, when you think about moments that that get you to – uh, like the closest shots, if not the top of the mountain, those are the like single-handedly. Those are the kind of drives and plays and moments that you look at. Um, and so, so I'm encouraged by it, and I think we'll be all right. Um, uh, hopefully, again, Debo uh, is, is able to play because again, he's such a huge part of the offense. But uh, I, I'm not, uh, you know, the defense. I think will tighten it up. It's going to be a tough test, of course, but. Um, Listen, credit to that Green Bay Packers team. That's a good, good football team on the other side of the ball. Uh, so, you know, 
it's it's right there in front of you. Uh, yeah, it really is. So um, I, I'm really encouraged at, well, at the end of all of it. Look, I said this too earlier in the season. There was one game in particular when I had to retract, not retract, because I never said that Brock Purdy couldn't be a clutch guy. But the game that to me like solidified that I'm like, all right, no, he, it's real. Like it, all this is real. Was that game against the Browns, right? When Jake Moody missed the extra, missed the game winning kick because he did the same thing. No Trent or banged up Trent Williams, no Debo Samuel, just like we saw in this game. Brock Purdy clutched up knowing he doesn't have, didn't have his guys for him. That being said, similar to that game, he looked terrible. He did like just flat out. I mean, Green Bay got to the red zone five times before San Francisco did. And the defense bailed the offense out. And you're going to have games like that on a, on a potential championship run, right? You're going to have games where one side of the ball has to bail you out of stuff. I think Debo not being active potentially in this next game is massive because we saw what happened to this offense earlier in the year when Brock Purdy didn't have Debo, and it's not the same offense, right? It's one element of that the multiplicity that we've seen out of the San Francisco offense when they line use check up in the slot and Kittle's on the line. And then you still have Ayuk and Jawan Jennings or McCaffrey and, and Debo. And you have all these guys out there who can split out. And then the next time out, they can come out in 21 personnel because they slide use check down or they put use check in the back. But like, there's just so many different ways you can attack it. Debo is one of the, one of the main catalysts to keep that alive. Right. They're also going up against the best run defense in the NFL and the Detroit Lions. Now we've seen the Detroit Lions secondary can get got, which means that this game coming up, especially if there is no Debo, is going to be very heavily weighted on Brock Purdy. And what we saw was in game, Purdy was able to make adjustments, come up in a clutch moment. But you're not necessarily going to be able to do that throughout an entire ball game, right? Like you had enough going for you in that game. You adjusted on the fly. Your defense was making stops. Asking the defense to be that good again to bail out Purdy is not a championship formula. I found it very interesting that, and and I think Big Cat said this, that at least I saw on social media, that no matter what you thought going into this game about, about Brock Purdy, leaving the game, you feel the exact same way. Like no matter how you felt about Brock Purdy, after going into this game after the game you're right right if you're not a brock purdy believer you walk away from this game going yeah brock purdy was terrible he came up with a couple big throws in the last minute but green Bay's kicker misses the the field goal which would have added extra pressure onto san francisco right that could have been a totally different way that that game ends brock purdy still makes the throws you give him credit for that but hey overwhelmingly brock purdy wasn't good if you're a brock purdy guy you walk away from that game going like Holy shit, Brock Purdy was the fucking man. He came up clutch. He won this game for us. He gave us everything we needed from him. And he he won this game for us when we needed him to. And I think both things can be true. I think you can say, look, Brock Purdy looked like shit for the majority of this game. But when push came to shove, when they needed a big drive, he delivered. And that drive in the fourth quarter with, what, two minutes left to go down to get that touchdown to win that game was clutch as shit. And I give him all the credit in the world for doing that because that's not an easy thing to do. The biggest thing for me in this game is if there's no Christian McCaffrey in this game, the Niners don't win. 
without Chris McCaffrey yeah. breaking off that touchdown run, when that offense had nothing going throughout the, the what was it the first two and a half quarters in the third quarter, McCaffrey breaks yeah. off that touchdown run. Without that touchdown run, without McCaffrey being as special where he goes back to back jump jump cuts, when it looked like there was nothing in front of him to break away and to win that game. To me, like that was the play because the the Packers had just gone on a long drive. They score a touchdown. They have a bigger lead. You feel like, holy shit, the Packers are in control of this football game, only to have the Niners go down, throw a couple of passes, get down to about midfield or 40-yard line, whatever, and McCaffrey does what McCaffrey does, which is be the most electrifying running back in the NFL, breaking one open and scoring that touchdown. To me, I walk away from this game both feeling this – I feel exactly the same as I did about – Brock Purdy, which is that we've seen him now do this in multiple games where he's come up with the clutch plays and the clutch moments to go down and win a football game. The first time the kicker missed the kick. This time they go down to score a touchdown when they needed the touchdown. They win the football game. All credit in the world goes to him. But this is the other thing, too, which is like we we talk about we talked about Mike McCarthy and, and Sean McDermott in the beginning of this uh, this this podcast. I don't think Kyle Shanahan's that far removed. Like in my mind's eye, I'm like, of course, Kyle Shanahan's so much better than those guys. But then you look at the resume, you look what he does as an in-game coach with a lot of these these big time decisions, the the lack of timeout, some of that stuff that was going as as the game went on. You know, Kyle Shanahan did not have a good day. I mean, Joel 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 Barry got lit up by Baker Mayfield and the Bucks to a perfect passer rating and gave up 30 points to Bryce Young in the only good game that he had this year, only to two weeks in a row now do a really have his defense do a really, really good job against the Dallas Cowboys, who scored more points in the regular season than any other team, and hold the San Francisco 49ers to 24 points. But then again, you got to factor in the Debo of it all, which is why I think so much of how I feel about this game going into next week is going to be dependent on whether or not Debo Samuel plays. Because to me, without without the guys around him, Brock Purdy is another guy who has that clutch gene. Brock Purdy is, and maybe you'll like this because the guy's a Super Bowl champ, Nick Foles. Comes up big in clutch moments, has a ton of talent around him, and when you do that, he can do amazing things. But if you take away Christian McCaffrey, you take away Debo Samuel, you take away Trent Williams, he's just a guy. He's a jag. He's just a guy. You know, he's nothing more than that. He's he a just jag. dismantled our offense. Like, what you, like, that's three of the 11 guys. No, but I, hey, look, I, I, I'm not. <laughs> that's the point I'm making, Scott, which is that you take away Zay Flowers and you take away Ronnie Stanley and you take away Mark Andrews. Lamar Jackson is still a, an MVP candidate. You take away. I mean, uh, yeah, Tyree run Hill. for three thousand yards a but year. But look, you take you take away Tyree Kill. You take away, uh, you know, all, any of the weapons from Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is still an MVP candidate. I'm not you arguing take away, that one. That's so. That's <laughs> but that's what I'm saying here is that like you can win with a guy who is just a guy who has a clutch gene that can come up in big moments. It's happened. We've seen it. But to me, like them going in without Debo Samuel and winning this game this week. I'm like, hey, all credit in the world to Brock Purdy. I'm giving Brock Purdy all the credit in the world now. He was, he's was he been great this year. He was bad on Saturday. And he was really good for the one drive that he needed to be really, really good. And he gets all of the credit in the world for doing that. All of the credit. But this goes back to when we talk about the like when Brock Purdy was the favorite to win MVP. There's not a world where Brock Purdy should have ever been the favorite to win the MVP because Without McCaffrey, without Debo, 
we we've seen it. We've seen him without those guys. We've seen him without Trent Williams. He's nowhere near close to a difference maker as a quarterback, but some guys can be just an average quarterback, make mistakes, not look great when they're on their own and still have that clutch gene to, to tighten up and make big time throws. That's the epitome of what Nick Foles was. Nick Foles was never a 10 year starter, you know, tons of wins, future hall of famer. He was never any of that, but what he was, was a guy that when his name got called, He's the guy that, you know, all the pickup basketball stories about Nick Foles when he would play with the Arizona guys and he would put buckets on them. Like he's some dudes just have that some guys, some people just have that like clutch gene factor. And I think Brock Purdy has that. I really do, which is an awesome thing, because right now, even without Debo, I still think San Francisco is going to beat the Lions. I, I think the defense is too good. I think the secondary can get got. But it needs to be that clutched up version of Brock Purdy, especially if you're not going to have Debo Samuel. And I think he deserves credit for the way that he played, particularly on that last drive. But I also don't think you can walk away from that game and all the Niners fan accounts who are like, Brock Purdy's him. He is him. All bad no, day to be that. a Brock Purdy hater. I know you're I'm not. Just saying, I'm saying like, there I'm are people out there. By it. And there's yeah. people who listen to this podcast who definitely think that. And I'm saying is that he nothing about that performance you know, makes me think, oh, Brock Purdy is at the same level of Burrow, Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, any of those guys. But what he is, is a dude who will clutch up for you in big time moments. And that is almost just as valuable when you have a roster as talented. It is as valuable to me if you have a roster as talented as San Francisco does, which is why you walk away from this moment being like, hey, when the game's on the line, I trust that dude. Because he's shown it multiple times already in the year that everybody was doubting him or a lot of people were doubting him coming in. And to me, like, that's a great place to be in going into a big time playoff game, knowing that you trust your guy, despite the fact that he may look like shit for three and a half quarters, that when the when the cards are on the table and it matters most, that dude's not blinking. Yeah. And it's the difference between because I've heard a lot like like uh, Brock is just an, uh, uh, a minor upgrade from. Jimmy and I'm like yeah but the difference is that clutch thing like Jimmy didn't have that clutch Jimmy was good Jimmy won you games Jimmy did what he needed to do um I Jimmy like also never Park. had Christian McCaffrey Jimmy didn't have South Park. <laughs> uh Look, McCaffrey yeah but like uh, but that's, yeah but that's, that's that clutch a big thing. difference yeah yeah like I, the one thing I won't I won't tolerate when it comes to the Jimmy G versus Brock Purdy thing is like Jimmy G got you to the Super Bowl with Debo Samuel, who was nowhere near the player that he is now, with Brandon Ayuk, who was barely even rosterable at that point. Actually, I don't even know if Ayuk was on the team at that point. That was and his rookie with, year. Yeah. It was his rookie year. So rookie Brandon Ayuk, who was a total train wreck and no significant running back other than what, like Elijah Mitchell, maybe rookie Elijah Raheem Mitchell. Moore, I mean, uh, Raheem, Raheem Mostert. Sorry. Raheem Mostert. Like, like Jimmy G got to the Super Bowl with far less talent around him than Brock Purdy did. So to me, it's not fair to compare Brock versus Jimmy G. But what I will say is, and, and keep in mind too, like Jimmy G played great in that Super Bowl. He had the one overthrow, which again, could come back to the, the, that could be the throw that a guy like Brock Purdy makes that Jimmy G doesn't. But also if you put Brock Purdy in this game without Christian McCaffrey, the Niners aren't winning this football game and they're going home. Right. So it's like McCaffrey does make a massive difference when you're trying to calculate Purdy versus Jimmy G. I'm just saying, like, I, to me, yeah, that's like no, that's why they undeniable. Him, like, I, no, for sure. For sure. That's why you go out, you make the trade, and you go and do that because you, you have an opportunity to make a guy who is one of the five to 10 most talented players 
football players in the NFL and Christian McCaffrey, you go out and do it. And the fact that he stayed healthy throughout this year is the biggest thing about him that you're just going like, that's, that is so clutch. You get a full year with McCaffrey, but again, we have not seen Purdy without McCaffrey. I think too, it's a, it's a feather in the cap of, of why home field is so important. That game with Lambeau is not going the same way. Yeah. I mean, it's hell, though, that game in Detroit is not going the same way. But we, we also learned that, that Purdy home, can't play in the rain. Yeah, well, he's got little hands. Yeah, he's like he's like Kristen Wiig in the uh, the old SNL bit with the little hands <laughs> yeah. trying to throw the football. I mean, some of those balls came out like you're drunk at a tailgate with your buddy and you try to throw it as far as you can. And it just wobbles the whole way. Like, not even wobbles yeah. like end over end style. I mean, there are punters who can kick tighter spirals than some of the spirals that Brock Purdy was putting out there as an NFL quarterback. Yeah, yeah, but we got a a, a pretty normal uh, Santa or Bay Area uh, day coming next uh, Sunday, so which is helpful. And, and look, 60s, again, I know people are going to take a lot of what I said as if I'm like anti uh, Brock Purdy. I'm not anti Brock. No, yeah. I'm not anti Brock Purdy. What I am is trying to accurately depict him. People nope. who think that he's in that top tier, you're wrong. People who think that he's terrible, you're wrong. Where does he exist? In that middle ground. He exists in that middle ground where when you surround him with a ton of talent, he can look fucking awesome. And Not with he us here cut, against us. And he can make awesome, awesome plays when you need him to make it and clutch up, which to me makes him Nick Foles. And Nick Foles won a Super Bowl going off of that shit, right? And the one thing I'll say is like Nick Foles was able to do it without any sort of defensive help in that Super Bowl. I give a better chance for Brock Purdy to do it because of how good that Niners defense is. But to me, yeah, like I would show up, <laughs> I'd love to see the rematch, you know, against Baltimore. Like that would be really fascinating to me yeah. because I, I want to see if Brock Purdy can prove like, Hey, we got embarrassed in that game the first time around on Christmas I want to see his response to it because that to me says a lot about who he is as a, as a quarterback too. And I think Purdy is like, again, he's shown that clutch team. What I can't stand is people who live on the extremes. If you think Brock Purdy is the ultimate best, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL MVP candidate, All you're time. wrong. You're flat yeah. out wrong. Just, I'm sorry. You are the guy from the athletic who was trying to compare him to Joe Montana is fucking yeah. lunacy. Yeah. Fucking yeah, lunacy. Say less. <laughs> like, Dave Lombardi, whatever the fuck his name is. Like, you're a fucking idiot if you think yeah, that. I'm sorry. That's insane. <laughs> but you're also a fucking idiot if you think the kid isn't fucking talented and isn't fucking really good. Because he is. He is really good. But put him on Carolina. Put him on Tampa Bay. Put him on a bunch of different rosters. Is he even close to this guy? No, he's not. Now, unanswerable question. I get it. To me, it's all about like, and so much of how I approach this podcast is like, there's extremes when it comes to sports media, right? People are you're either all in, you're all out. Bullshit. There's gray area. Find the gray area. Live in that gray area. That's where the real shit is. And the real shit about Brock Purdy is the dude is clutch. He's come up with big time drives without his best players, which is super clutch. And he's also not one of the top guys and that's okay because you can win a Super Bowl with that guy and he could very well win the Super Bowl MVP with that guy but it yeah, doesn't mean was, that he's on the same tier as Allen Mahomes Lamar any of those guys that we have fine. in the conversation I, I'm, I'm not gonna argue with that just miss me with all that bullshit from from the the rest of everyone else after we've got uh, a little little more girth on our fingers uh after three weeks from now I would I hey someone on this podcast has to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. 
but they they're gonna have a tough test when they go up against the Detroit Lions. You're gonna have uh, two, yeah, I, no and, doubt. Uh, and let's let's talk about the Detroit Lions. They win that game against Tampa Bay, thirty-one to twenty-three. It feels like the, the 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 final score is not fully indicative of how this game went. I will say, like all credit to the Bucks because when they were down two scores and the going in was the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, I really thought that they were kind of dead in the water. You know, I kind of thought, oh, shit, man, Detroit came out in the second half, dominate the second half. That's all she wrote. Uh, thought that was going to be the end of it. Tampa Bay and Baker Mayfield, you cannot cut, you know, you, you can't count Baker Mayfield out of any football game because that dude just find ways to win football games. And the one thing I love about this Detroit team, other than the, the storyline, and I'm I'm pulling hard for the Detroit Lions to make the Super Bowl uh, un- unapologetically. Shout out you to my the rest buddy. of the stupid country. Hey man, it's hard not to. It's hard not to right now. Well, not me. Well, I know you're not. But hey, guess what? You're you're the you, when you're the underdog, everyone's with you. When you're not, everyone's going to be against you. And right now, the Lions yeah. are the country's underdog. Right? We yeah, everyone sorry, loves. We're going to break Campbell. everyone's hearts. Yeah. And they might. They very well might. And again, there's there's a reason that the Niners are going to be big time favorites in that game. By the way, what is uh, guess the lines here for that that Packers Niners? And uh, and Lions Bucks game. Um, I'm gonna say Lions are six and a half point underdogs for the championship game. Yeah, for the AFC championship. I game. think that's exactly what it is. It opened at a touchdown. It already moved to six and a half. It is at six and a half. Yeah, let's go. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> the I think the Lions. Look, the the one thing again, if you look at the Lions, and this is the thing, right? Is you go back through a bunch of their games this year. The games that they lost, they got beat flat out. But since week one of this game, when they played Kansas City, this team has found ways to win close games, right? And it reminds me of what we talked about with the college football playoff, why I was so high on Washington going into that game is because there is an art to winning close football games. Say what you know about San Francisco. They've been amazing. They haven't had to win a lot of close football games. This game right now is, I think, only the second win they had all year that was a one-score football game. Everything else Correct. has been them. Everything else was either a loss or multiple uh, point plus. I think the one one point uh, one possession game that they won was like eight points too. So it was like barely uh, a one possession game. Is that when the Rams scored a garbage time touchdown? I believe it was. Yes. Um, <laughs> the li- yeah, exactly. And that game didn't even matter. Yeah. The Lions have been living in this world of like because their defense, at least in the secondary, is not the most reliable. They've been living in this world of like, hey, we have to grind out every single game, every single possession. The way they iced this game out against Tampa Bay, basically substituting the running game for quick passes to keep the clock moving, to be able to pick up first downs. Every time Tampa Bay surprised them, like, holy shit, Tampa Bay is not dead. Detroit just said, okay, no worries. We're just going to go out on the field, score a touchdown. We're just going to go ahead and move the ball, milk the clock, keep the clock running, stay in bounds. Uh, third and 14, doesn't matter. We're going to throw the ball to Monroe St. Brown. And he's just going to bully over the backup cornerback that went in for Tampa Bay. Not a problem. You know, I, I just, I love this Lions team. I love the way that they're built. I love the moxie. I love the way that they've been able to rush the passer in the last couple of weeks. Right. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson has been awesome. I think they have Justin Houston too. Now too, who adds a little bit of depth for them on that D line, Aiden Hutchinson, eight sacks in four games, uh, particularly, and this is a big, big point of, uh, emphasis here. They're, matched up where think about where Aiden Hutchinson lines up on the ball. He plays the left defensive end, which is lined up against the right tackle. He's not going to have to deal with Trent Williams. All right. So he's going to get the rookie at right tackle. He's going to get that. 
he's going to get the opportunity to beat a young kid. And with the way that he's playing football right now, it's something else. Jack Campbell playing Malcolm Rodriguez, playing unbelievable run defense up the middle. Their linebacking play is outrageously good. Brian Branch, they bring him down into the box. They bring him, drop him back in in, in coverage. Like, no matter what happens with this Lions defense, they've found answers to it. And the offense has just been the absolute fucking bedrock. Anytime Tampa Bay went down to score, they'd cut to Jared Goff on the sideline. Dude is completely unfazed, completely like, all right, cool, whatever. Because he's at home. Yeah. Sure. I mean, being at home is definitely helps them. Right. And being in that environment definitely helps. I mean, I, it, for good reason, San Francisco is almost a touchdown favorite for that reason. But I do think that that kind of football travels that understanding that, Hey, we can go out anywhere and win any game. And after what they saw the Packers just do to, to the San Francisco, the lions have every, every valid reason to believe that they can go in and win that game against the Niners on Sunday. Okay. Um, look, I, I I don't disagree with you. I love what they're doing on defense too in the passers, not just the uh the on the line. Like what they're doing to disguise some of these safeties dropping into the box uh with, with Brian Branch and, and Melifonwu, like those guys get after it. Like they'll they'll hide behind uh a D end or, or or an interior guy even and then find the gap and be like, Yeah, we're coming. Like that was always the plan. Um and, and like they hurried Baker into so many things, including that last that last play at the end of the game. Um, that uh, that he had to force the ball out to a spot he didn't want to, and then the the linebacker undercuts the route and and, and picks off the ball to end the ice the game. Um, what they're doing on on that those first two levels is really special, uh, and you know I I wonder, and we'll talk about more about this next week, but I I wonder like where Debo makes the difference in that, like with what he can do. Um, to to try to take one of those guys out of it uh, might be might be a, a a big factor, but um, like I, I I like what they're doing on defense. I just think they're vulnerable. And and again, like yeah, it's the nice story. Uh, like don't get me wrong, as a, as a sports fan, I love the story. I I loved watching Aiden Hutchinson um, after the game. The kid who grew up in Detroit uh, get a second playoff win to send them to the first NFC title game since 1991 and him just sitting there soaking it up with a tear rolling down his face. I love that shit. I do. Yeah. As a sports fan, you can't, you can't write stuff better than that, even though the NFL will try and probably have, but I, I like that, that to me is, is a testament to, to how well that team um, has, has come together over, over the past, even three years, really. Like this has just been building and trending upward for the past three years, um, and uh, you know, like it's it's tough to it's tough to say that they're they're in a spot where they can drop a game, but like at the end of it all, like if you just look at the X's and O's on the field, like this is where like a lot of what we talk about uh, when it comes down to these points of the years, like X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's, right? Like those dudes got like both of them rolling right now, and. Uh, and they're going to be tough to beat. And I think they have a little bit of that, like, nobody believes in us mentality. Like, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, the Lions are a fun story. Are they going to be able to beat San Francisco? You know, can, can they really go to the Super Bowl? Like, I think they feed off of that, though, because of what Dan Campbell's created, right? Like, the, the buy-in of that team, it's it's almost college football-esque. Like, yeah. it, well, it's it almost same, I was like, going to say. It's reminiscent of like Jim Harbaugh and what he's it's, done at Michigan, you know. And the example I was going to draw is, especially in a Niners game, is 
his brother when they went in there on Christmas Day and they were like almost touchdown underdogs and they were like, "Are you fucking kidding me? You're gonna let them give give the the Niners four and a half points at home? Fuck that! Like we've got the ultimate chip on our shoulder and we're a better football team than them. Let's go get it!" And they yeah. came out and dominated. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is like I I really do feel like the Lions have the capability of being able to do that. Um, you know, I, I the thing that you, it's important to recognize like yeah, the Eagles were dog shit and the Bucks beat the shit out of them, but the Bucks defense has been pretty good all year. You know, I, I saw a Levante David stat that he was the only player in football this year to have over a hundred tackles, fifteen or more tackles for a loss, and three sacks. Like Levante David hasn't taken a step back. Um, Antoine Win- Winfield Jr arguably the best safety in football. He's an all pro guy this year. You know, Carlton Davis still a really, really good cornerback. You know, he ends up getting knocked out of this game. Jamal Dean on the other side at the safety AJ room. Brett. It's unbelievable yeah. this year too. And right? the like they, they had a bunch of guys. Gap. And then on top of that too, is you're dealing with Vita Vea. You're dealing with um, uh, uh, Tyron, right? The, the, the defensive end, like they have a decent pass rush too. I look at this team and, and, and when you're dealing with Devin White, Britt, uh, and uh, obviously Levante David in that in the middle of that heart, like it's not that different than what San Francisco has. I think, yes, San Francisco's better at the linebacker position, but that's the difference that like Jameer Gibbs makes for you. Like Fred Warner is going to have to cover Jameer Gibbs out in space for this, like a lot of this game, right? And and to me, well, it's like if presumably, and, and, presu- and that, presumably, but that's the one thing I I came somebody, away from. Like he he's so good in the open field, but like. But they designed that for him, so they're going to have to scheme it up right. Um, like Fred Warner, he's can so cover, good in the open field. Fred Warner is incredible in the open field, but like Fred Warner also is amazing at covering so many different positions, and he's fast as all hell. He's not Jameer Gibbs fast though, yeah, that right. Dude. And that's the thing is, it's if you can get Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw on their heels a little bit, just slow them down just that little bit, open up that window. You know, that's where we're going to see guys like Jameer Gibbs and and, and Amonra St. Brown and, and Jameson Williams, right? Like Jameson Williams, I think he had three catches for like 40 yards in this game. But like that to me is like just that threat of how fast that dude is. There's going to be big plays because of the speed and the aggressiveness of that Ben Johnson offense. But they're going to find ways to keep just slow those guys down just a little bit. And then as soon as they do bang, you hit him with David Montgomery up the middle, and then bang, you hit him with Jameer Gibbs up the middle. And all of a sudden, you're moving the ball. You're keeping those guys up playing more defensive. As a defensive player, you're already on your back heels to begin with. But if you're able to slow them down based off of that half second of uncertainty about what the offense is doing, whether it be from stuff you're doing from pre-snap motion, the way that you're forcing certain guys to take on them, like the best case scenario for Detroit is that you hold Fred Warner to like a nothing day, right? Like six tackles, no interceptions, no sacks, no tackles for a loss. Like where you just kind of neutralize him and make him into like a non-factor. And, and we saw Green Bay do a lot of that in this game, right? The way that they were attacking the tight end position and putting guys like, you know, with how good Aaron Jones was running the football in that game against the 49ers. Like if you put Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw on their heels, then all of a sudden you're able to get an opportunity to get the ball up, you know, sneak in five quick yards. And now it's second and five. Right. And now the next play, Fred yeah. Warner, Dream Greenlaw, just, they're thinking, oh, boom, I got to be ready for the run here. Boom. Next thing you know, tight end leaks out wide open on a play action and there's nobody within 15 yards of them. And yeah, that's, that's a, the matchup I, problem they present, though. Like they've done that to everybody. And that's the thing with Detroit is like Detroit's offense is very similar to what we've seen out of Green Bay. 
right? I mean, they they utilize a lot of the same positions. And if anything, I think Detroit's got a better they have a smarter quarterback, not as athletic of a quarterback, which is definitely something that helps out the Niners. Cause if you can get any pressure on Jared Goff, he's going to fall down. He's not going to extend plays for you, but this Detroit offense line, uh, uh, this Detroit Lions offense has done such a good job of getting the ball out, getting the ball in the hands of the guys that, that can go out and make plays. Like, I don't know if there's a guy on San Francisco who can go mano a mano against, uh, uh, what's his name against Amon Ross St. Brown. Right. And then even so, if you put your Marv. number one, yeah, yeah. sure. But I mean, Trevarius Ward is like solid player. Like he is, he's, he's a number one player, but we're not talking about sauce Gardner. We're not talking about Pat Sertan. We're not talking about Derek Stingley. We're not talking about one of the elites of the elites. No Jalen Ramsey talk here. Hey, you hate my team, don't you? No, I, it's, I'm, I'm realistic. I'm realistic about what your team is, which is that Trevarius Ward is a very solid player. He's a good number one cornerback, but because the offense inherently has the advantage on every single play, Amonra St. Brown is super dangerous. And then even still, if it's not Amonra, then you look around the rest of you and you're like, all right, well, we also have uh, Jameson Williams, who the secondary, particularly the safety rooms, are going to be terrified of of beating you over the top. And Josh Reynolds out of the slot, who's become like a fucking stud out of the slot position. And Sam Laporta, who's been the best offensive tight end in football this year who looked way healthier last week than he did even in the wild card round. I, I'm not saying that like the Lions should be favored in this game. San Francisco is the better football team, but I'm talking myself into like believing that the Lions can legitimately win this football game. If we don't see Debo, Debo Samuel, I think the second Debo Samuel enters the equation, it's going to be a totally different conversation. Cause I don't think that line secondary is going to be able to slow down the Niners and then it's going to be, like, can we keep up in a shootout against the Niners? And I don't think Detroit's going to be able to do that. But I do think there's a pathway where Detroit can win this football game, but they're going to need some help and they're going to have to come up with an unbelievable game plan with Ben Johnson because like the way that they – it felt like every possession of that game against Tampa Bay for Detroit offensively was effortless. It felt like every throw that they wanted to make was there. Third and 14 – doesn't matter. We know we're going to be able to get the separation with Amonra. We know with how strong his hands are, how strong he is as a player. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to turn. He's going to be able to fall forward. It just felt like everything that they needed to do, the Lions were able to execute it. it and yeah. Tampa Bay is a far cry from the defense of the Niners. But I also think that you can do that against the Niners defense because well, we just saw Green Bay do it last week. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that for for Jared Goff, at least what I saw was just taking what the defense gave you. I mean, they're gonna blitz. They're the highest blitzing team in the world. Uh, you saw that firsthand last week. Yeah. Um, sure and did. so so they they didn't divert from from that. Uh, they came after. Uh, they came after Goff with one of the best offensive, arguably the best offensive line in the that's left in the postseason, uh, and in, in the NFL in, in its entirety. Um, that's not a good recipe because then like Goff's just going to, he had enough time that he could just take what the defense was giving him. And it was like, all, all of a sudden there, Amon Ra underneath, boom, done. Uh, Khalif Raymond underneath, boom, done. Um, uh, Jameer Gibbs swinging out as, as the check down, boom, done. And it was just check down and underneath the check down. And all of a sudden we're moving the ball. Hey, boom, big play. Amon Ra in the corner for a touchdown, ice the game, game over. What do you do? Um, or so we thought until that, uh, that, touchdown drive from Baker Mayfield but still like at that point when they went up 31-17 I was like done over um but it was just taking what the defense gave them and like Jared Goff's really good at that 
Like he's really good at that. Yeah. And, and think about it too. That's a lot of what the Ravens were able to do in that game against San Francisco. Yeah. Right. Which was just, you have the, you have the full, you know, kaleidoscope of weapons. You have guys on the outside that you like, you have a really good tight end and you have really good running backs, right. Yeah. And a really good running game. And that's exactly what Baltimore has. Now, they're, obviously they're the problem. one, the big difference being Lamar's, you know, added variable of being Lamar, you don't have with Detroit, but from a passing attack and knowing that, Hey, the lions have a much better offensive line than what we saw out of uh, Baltimore. Like that's going to help you in the running game. And for as good as like the secondary is for San Francisco, uh, at least on the outside and in the linebacking room, their front four outside of Nick Bosa is not great. You know, like Javon Hargrave, Started off really hot. He seems, since he got banged up early in the year, he seems to be less of an issue. Eric Armstead, like, we know he's a really good player, so he's going to have moments. Like, Chase Young's giving you nothing. You know, Randy Gregory, I mean, how many snaps did he play in that game? Like, five? You know, he's not giving you anything. It's really like if Nick, if you beat Nick Bosa, who's going to be matched up against Penny Sewell in this game anyway, I, I feel like I'm very, very confident that, like, the offensive line of, of Detroit is going to win that line of scrimmage battle. The question is on the other side is if Aiden Hutchinson, who's going to have to single-handedly beat San Francisco's offensive line, just like Nick Bose is going to have to do the same for Detroit, if Hutchinson can get after Purdy and make Purdy feel uncomfortable the way that we saw Green Bay do, and they can maybe scheme up some blitzes, get a little aggressive with it, I think that's definitely a possibility with Detroit. I just I think this line being at seven makes sense with knowing that Debo Samuel is playing. Not knowing that Debo Samuel is playing – like if Debo's out, I think this line should be at like five and a half, four and a half to five and a half. I think with Debo, seven to seven and a half makes sense. Just because I I really do think of Debo, like he will make all the difference in the world. If Debo's yeah. out for this game, I think Detroit has a very, very good chance of winning this game outright and going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, you don't say that. Uh, not to my face anyway. Uh, when that clock hit triple zeros uh, in Detroit, uh, the first thing I thought of, I was like, oh, fuck, I love this trenches battle already. Just like I'm thinking in my head, like yeah. on both sides, I'm like, I love this battle already. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Like, like you said, though, man, the lines are a problem. Um, they've been a problem. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens when they have to go on the road. Um, For sure. But, and that's uh, a yeah, big really, part of really it, too. Football team. Yeah. That's a big I mean, part of it, too. For them now, to look, get it- this far in the in, in the season, too, like. I mean, it's a huge credit to to them and what they've built. I mean, considering that Saturday or Sunday was three years to the day that they had the introductory press conference for Dan Campbell, yeah. the budding the kneecaps to have that culminate in a three year turnaround where you are now one win away from going to the Super Bowl. It started going to the NFC Championship year. game. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it it is such a testament. And yeah. you hear that buzzword, and we've talked about it on the spot before the buzzword of culture. Right, got to build the culture up before. What Dan Campbell's doing right now is building culture. It's a real thing, though. Like, I mean, nobody thought is. Jared. Everyone thought Jared Goff was a stopgap quarterback. They thought, oh, they're just, you know, they're they're sending Stafford to go let him win somewhere else. Oh, okay, we'll just take little Jared, little old Jared Goff off your hands. Jared Goff has been fucking phenomenal. The, the last the two years of the draft that they've had have been phenomenal. They've hit on almost every player that they've gotten in yeah. the draft. Everybody thought they were crazy. At 12, getting Jameer Gibbs this year, myself included, uh, was a little skeptical. And all he's done is like, no, they just go out and get the guys that will fit that culture, that identity, that program. Yeah. And 
and like this is what it's got. Yeah, well, look, so we all thought it, we all thought it was crazy. Way. We, you know, it wasn't that we didn't think Jameer Gibbs was a good player. We just thought it was insane to draft somebody to, that yeah, high to go the, up to twelve and be like the what? one thing. And they kind of took a page out of San Francisco and the Brock Purdy argument, right? Which is that all the guys that went out and got have substantial college playing experience. Jameer yeah. Gibbs, right? Jameer Gibbs played at Georgia Tech for two years, plays at Alabama for a year, plays in big time games. Take him to go off into the draft, right? Same thing, Brian Branch started as a true freshman, played for three years. Nick Saban wanted him to come back because he thought he had more he had more to grow and thought he was going to turn into a bona fide first-round pick. He decides to go. He's in the NFL making big-time plays. Jack Campbell, four-year starter at Iowa, he's coming in and is already a premier linebacker in the NFL. Like Those are the guys right now that are making big-time differences. Amon Ross St. Brown, right? they draft him in Dan Campbell's first year there, and you bring in a guy who hard, a tireless worker – Cares about Even, nothing other than just balling out and being the best he can possibly be. And it's all guys. I mean, Even getting how, Hutchinson at two and, and like getting lucky that Jacksonville thought that Trayvon Walker was the right pick instead of And that's Hutchinson. the thing, right? Drafting off the upside, which was exact. And I've heard that a lot. And that's what I said in that draft, which was like, I don't think Hutchinson has the upside that Trayvon Walker does that some of these other guys do. That's not to say that Aiden Hutchinson isn't fucking really good because he is really good. I knew he was going to be good. I didn't think he had the upside to be one of the Bosa's or to be, you know, uh, Miles Garrett or to be, you know, uh, TJ Watt or one of the guys who's going to be like one of the premier, premier, premier edge rushers. I still don't know if he's that guy, if he's got that in him. But if there's one thing we know about Aiden Hutchinson is that he's going to work his ass off to figure out whether or not he's going to be or not. And even still, his floor is going to be a guy who's going to be super disruptive. And the way he's played the last four games, he's made me eat a lot of my own words because he's been fucking awesome the last three, last four games. Yeah. And I'm I'm so I'm so excited for that game because I I really I get that same feeling with Sanford, which is like kind of like how I felt about Washington, which is like Washington has these experiences. They've been in back and forth games all year. They've won some big blowouts when they've been the clear better team, but they've also had games where it's like, cause they're, they're not a perfect team that they were going to get to the championship. I thought that would carry over into the national championship. It didn't. And I could see a very similar story playing out where it's like the, the fact that they've played in these tight games has gotten them to the Super Bowl, but then they'll go up against a team like Baltimore and they just won't have a shot. And and maybe they will. I mean, who knows? But the Detroit Lions, man, I, I love the story. I'm all in riding the bandwagon. I, I as a fan, that's what I want to see. But what I really hope for as a fan is that we get an epic, epic game on Sunday between them and the Niners. And I feel like it's shaping up to be that way. Uh, yeah, I got I think, my doctor on call. Don't worry about it. Yeah, as, as you uh, as you should, yeah. as you should. All right. Last game. Chiefs 27, Bills 24. Mahomes, once again, six AFC title games in six years as a starter. It's ridiculous at this point, man. I mean, the the run he's gone on, he finally got his first road playoff win, uh, going to Buffalo, winning that game. You know, if McCall Hardman doesn't fumble the ball out of the back of the end zone, you feel like this game is over in the fourth quarter. We talked a little bit about the Bill side of it, but I just I don't know if you can say enough good things about Mahomes. We could spend an entire podcast talking about Mahomes, and I still don't know if it would be enough. I mean, that dude is just he's incredible, man. He's absolute incredible. Travis Kelsey bringing it out, looking like vintage Travis Kelsey in this game. Two touchdowns. There's a reason Um, for that, I think. Yeah, there could be, but hey, T Swift was at a bunch of games this year. No, not that. No, I just think like 
the Bills were trotting out two mildly healthy linebackers. Like there was nobody to bracket him, which has been the problem that he's had all season long is that he's getting bracket coverage. They couldn't bracket cover him because then there's like they three had, other They had one of their starters out there. They they had, I think, two out of their three linebacking starters were out there. One of them was was injured and in playing, but um I don't know. To me, and like Simmons, Bill Simmons said this, and I thought it was a good point. It's it's very reminiscent of the last couple of years of Gronk and Brady in um New England. Right. And even the last year of Gronk and Brady in uh, not quite as bad, but when Gronk and Brady were in were in uh, Tampa Bay, right, where you look at it and you go, OK, like. It's not prime Travis Kelsey, but he can still pull it out in the playoffs in the biggest moments. You and know, and what... yes, the one touchdown when he was wide open, that's a busted coverage. But the one like the one drive in the first half when when Kelsey flattened out his route into the back corner on the fade. And and Mahomes, there was one of the rare times that they were on the same schedule. It was like Kelsey just beat the guy. Like he just got flat out open. What it wasn't like it was like the play was designed to go to him, but he also had to do his job to get open, and he did. Like I still think Kelsey has it in him to be the best tight end in football when he needs to be. And he still, you know, led tight ends in yards and still was, you know, fucking awesome this year, even though he's just not the version of Travis Kelsey that we're used to seeing. Um, I still feel like they can pull that out when they need to in big moments. And he looked great in this game. The crazy stat, too, you mentioned uh, Brady and Gronk. Uh, Mahomes and and Kelsey passed with the second touchdown, passed Brady and Gronk for the most touchdowns between yes, they did. Uh, quarterback and tight end in the postseason. Quarterback and receiver, not just receiver, tight end. Yeah, just sorry, any, yeah. any Which receiver. Bananas. <laughs> it's an outrageous statistic. In six um, years. And they, I, I'm like, I don't know. It, it, it is crazy. I'm, I'm interested to see next week, and we'll talk about it obviously later this week, but that Ravens linebacking core presents a much different challenge than the the Bills did. Um, and then again, like, I don't know, like it's cool. We're decorating the quarterback, but I, you know, he had, he had a couple of clutch throws and that drive that, that scored a touchdown in the second half to put him ahead uh, 27, 21 or 24, I believe it was. Um, yeah. 27, 24 uh, when they scored was, uh, a well-engineered drive, but the running game, like they continue to be really good in the running game, which is something that they haven't had um, in, in previous years, except in big moments, like in one game of the postseason, not like for a season or for uh, for the entire postseason stretch. And then between that and there, like the the thing that we always talked about all season long was like, yeah, they haven't been great, but the one thing that the Chiefs uh, look like now is the fact like we've never seen them have a good defense in the regular season and then carry that into the postseason. It was always like, well, their defense is coming along and the offense is carrying the team to, to 12, 13, 14 wins, whatever it is, and then, boom, defense turns on the switch in the, in the postseason and all of a sudden it's the greatest team that we've ever seen. Now they're getting both of those things kind of coalescing with the defense still being really good and and Mahomes starting to be like, eh, yeah, maybe we look like crap for most of the regular season, but I'm Patrick Mahomes, so screw it. Yeah. Um, and and that's the dangerous part. I'm, and I sat there, and I'm sure most of the the people in the in the country, NFL fans in the country who are not Chiefs fans, were sitting there, be like, last week saying, can we just get this guy the hell out of the postseason? Get him out. I'm tired of it. And, and even if you're not tired of it, I don't want to see it because I don't want to have to play him. Um. 
And I I sat there at the same thing this weekend. When that kick went wide, wide right from Tyler Bass, I was like, God damn it. Stop giving Mahomes opportunities. I mean, look, like even still, even if Tyler Bass makes that kick, there's still what a minute and a half left. For sure. For he's sure. got two timeouts, and it's like Mahomes is going to go down the field and score and get, get them in position to kick a field goal, sure. and Bucker's going to drill it. I, I disagree. It's just like bury me, it, man. Like me, somebody. This is like you're watching the best at what's uh, the best in the world at something, and I want to watch him do it as long as possible. As long as my That's team's fair. not, as long as he's not playing my team, and I had to watch that in the Super Bowl last year, and it's not fun. That's the thing. Is but I don't want that to to collide. But you know? watching Mahomes Again, do what he does, and it's, it's unbelievable. Like, we can try to minimize it all we want, but it's like 17 to 23 for what 215 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles. Basically, it comes in and plays a perfect game for what he had to do. Uh, and then on top of it, too, he adds, you know, you take away his 20 rushing yards. Kansas City only had 120 on the ground, but it's the timeliness of their runs, right? And their ability to like, hey, you're so concerned about Mahomes. We're going to get the angriest runner in the history of football in Isaiah Pacheco. We're going to hand him off the ball, and he's going to not stop chopping his feet until he is literally on the ground. And then when he's on the ground, he's still probably going to try to chop his feet a little bit and see if he can get anything else because that's just – he's such an angry runner. And what's interesting and why I'm so curious about this matchup is that defensively, what the Chiefs are doing on the outside with Legereus Sneed and Trent McDuffie is they are playing so – fucking physical like that tweet that Tyreek Hill put out with the video of him getting bodied at the line of scrimmage against the Chiefs in the wild card round because Legereus Need just like punched him to the ground basically yeah. at the line of scrimmage like that's the kind of thing that like it's a small thing but how physical and how good they are at jamming wide receivers at the line of scrimmage that is something that like could I absolutely can see troubling Buffalo's offense and making them slightly more one-dimensional and then again we talk about the linebacking play Willie Gay and Nick Bolton are really, really good yeah. backer duo. And like Willie they, got, Gay got, they got hurt banged up too in this game. Willie yeah. Gay got banged <laughs> up, so we don't know if he's gonna be playing in that game against Joe Baltimore. Tooney might not be playing the the talented offensive lineman. So yeah, that's a lot for sure. Uh, for, but the thing them. is, is like they have this really good defensive core with young guys on the outside who play super physical, but then they also have fucking Patrick Mahomes. I, like that's and that's the thing. the thing. Like it's just a jinx, but like because that's like they're so fucking good. They are because so even fucking good on defense. Like a handful of times, a handful and, and maybe more. Legarius Sneed and Trent McDuffie got beat, like just flat out beat in this game on the outside. And Josh Allen put the ball exactly where it needed to go, and his receivers let him down. Like. And and in the same in, in the game too, like Legarius Sneed gave up the first touchdown in coverage that he's he's given up all season long, which is insane. Yeah. Um, but like they 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 got beat by speed, right? Like they can be as physical as they want at the line of scrimmage. I get that. Um, but they got beat by speed and route running at points in this game, and that's where I think like like if, if looking ahead, like. Especially if Mark Andrews is out on the field and you got to deal with him in the slot. Yeah, but like uh, think, think about position. what we've said. Like, I I'm just looking here, looking at this, looking at this box score from the Buffalo Bills, right? Josh Allen, 26 of 39, 186 yards, one touchdown, led them in, in rushing yards to 12 carries for 72 yards, two touchdowns. James Cook had 18 carries to 61. Ty Johnson had seven carries for 40 yards, right? You look at this box score from the Buffalo Bills. You could tell me, literally, we could be sitting here a week from now, and it could be an identical box score from the Baltimore Ravens 
and the Chiefs win the game, and I would totally believe it, right? Like, what what you want is to minimize, like, you know Lamar Jackson is going to get some for him. You know that just like you know Josh Allen's going to get some from him. But what are the uh, where are the areas where Lamar, because like, this is the thing, is I think there's more overlap between Lamar and Josh Allen than we want to give credit to, right? Like, Lamar struggled the almost the entire year with the deep ball. And even in that game against San Francisco, where he hit a couple touchdowns on the deep ball, they were underthrown. They were weird. Like they just float up there and the guys have to make adjustments on it. He's not a great deep ball thrower. It's all the underneath stuff that Lamar is really dangerous on. So it's like, all right, that plays into the strengths of the chief secondary, where they're going to be able to jam you play physical, force you to go underneath. They're going to let their linebackers match up against Isaiah likely or, uh, uh, Mark Andrews in the backfield. And then of course the running threat, like obviously they're different. Lamar and Josh Allen are different runners, but they're also kind of operate within the same scheme, which is like, they're both throw first quarterbacks in their respective offenses. And then they use their legs as a second option. So if Lamar goes for 150 on the ground, then yeah, I think Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens are probably going to go on to win that game. Cause that means Lamar's broken off a couple of long carries, but like you look at what Buffalo did in this game where Josh Allen throws for a buck 86 and then runs for 72 yards and his two touchdowns on the ground, no interceptions, no fumbles. First time in Josh Allen's career that he's lost the game when he's had zero turnovers. So it's like you can basically play a perfect game or a borderline perfect game. And the chiefs defense is good enough where you can get yours. They'll allow you. And that's what we talked about spags all the time. That Ben don't break. He knows that Lamar Jackson or that Josh Allen's going to get his at certain points in this game. But can you clutch up in those big moments and make the stops and, and do what you need to do to get it over? If Lamar Jackson puts up this same stat line, I can see this game turning out exactly the same. Granted Baltimore's defense is a lot better so I totally understand the difference there, but I do think with Patrick Mahomes, anything is possible. So like yeah. the defense being better for Baltimore to me doesn't necessarily outweigh the Patrick Mahomes being fucking Patrick Mahomes quality to it. You know what I mean? Oh, and in that case, I would take the under in that game, no matter what it is, um, because then it's you're depending on both defenses and, and I, I can legitimately see that being a, a, a factor where it becomes a defensive game and an ugly like old AFC North type of, of slugfest. Um, but I'm with you, man. Like, because look, like at the end of the day, the, the talent level on offense, I would tip to the bills. They had the healthiest offensive line mm-hmm. all year long. They had Stefan Diggs on the outside. Granted, Gabe Davis wasn't in this game, which might've made a difference, but Khalil Shakir had a good game. Um, they were able to run the ball pretty effectively with James Cook for the most part until the second half when the, Chiefs made adjustments and started stuffing the line of scrimmage and shutting the run down. Um, I'm with you, man. Like I, I, I think at the end of the day, Baltimore doesn't have the the option, like the option even for uh, Lamar to uncork a throw that uh, could have been a, a 80 yard touchdown to Stephon Diggs with the ball went 65 yards through the air, right? Like don't even have the opportunity. Stephon Diggs dropped that ball. Don't even have the opportunity if you're Lamar and uh, and Zay Flowers or or whoever is is going to be running that route. So, I think those I'm intermediate throws though are where Baltimore can can take advantage that's, of. That's the thing, especially that's when you have to put a spy in, on a on a yeah. quarterback. But that's also playing into a, to the hands of what the Chiefs cornerbacks and secondary like to do. Which is like they feel like the chief, and I think too, and this is the thing is like there is no Stephon Diggs, there is no Tyree Kill, there is no AJ Brown, there's no Debo, there is no like true number one wide receiver that you're super worried about for Baltimore, 
right? What, what you're worried about with Baltimore is like Lamar, the running game. And then when you're so focused on the running game, that's when Zay Flowers and his speed and stuff are going to beat you. But there's not a single person in the NFL faster than Tyree Kill, and they completely were able to take him out of that game. So I don't even know if the speed part really worries you as much as it is all of that underneath stuff and the crossing and, yeah. and the efficient throws. And if that's a thing, if Kansas City can take away those efficient, easy throws that Lamar's gotten time after time, the ones to Isaiah Likely, the ones to uh, you know Odell Buckham Jr. or Nelson Aguilar, if they can take those game those ones away and force Lamar to be elite throwing the football. That, to me, favors Kansas City in this game, especially when you consider that no matter how good Baltimore's defense is, Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the field, and I don't care who they have or who they're playing, it's fucking Patrick Mahomes, and he deserves every ounce of credit because he has officially, and I think it's been this way for at least a year, but it feels like whatever for whatever reason, this game against Buffalo with them him winning on the road and them being less talented and not really feeling sure about this Kansas City team all year, he has officially taken over that mantle for Tom Brady, like from like that 2006, maybe 2000, yeah, 2006 to like next gen, basically yeah. <laughs> the next 15 years after that of just being like, yeah. yeah, when Tom Brady's on the field, you do not doubt this guy. That's where Patrick Mahomes is now, where it's like there is nothing to quantify it. There's no way to to calculate what this means. It's just you know that Patrick Mahomes is on the football field, and that outweighs everything else. Yeah. No doubt. And and I, I tend to agree with you, like, especially on the defensive side. And we'll obviously talk about this later this week, but like if, if they want to get that physical, I think part of what the, uh, the chiefs defense was doing against the, uh, the dolphins, apart from the, the weather, just challenging Tua, being like, you're not going to make this stuff. Like you may, you, you might make it in Miami, but you're not making it here against a physical defense. It's yeah. going to jam you. Um, Go ahead and try. You can beat us once, but like we're not going to let it happen again. And they barely let it happen one time, and it wasn't even a touchdown play on the on the explosive from Tyreek. So, um, you know, I I I'm with you, man. I can see that sort of being the 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 factor in this game, challenging Lamar. Hey, make the throw. Go ahead. I dare you. Yeah. We're going to keep you contained on the ground too in the in the meantime. But go ahead and make the throw. Yeah, but the one thing that the Baltimore has that no one else in the NFL has, they have that that weapon X. Justin Tucker. They have that dude who's going to drill field goals in the biggest moment. You're not getting a missed field goal in a big moment with Justin Tucker. Tucker too, though, right? but, yeah. Not, but, Justin Tucker is sick, goat, just like but, Tyler Bass is sick. Yeah. But I just mean like if this same game plays out, which again, like I just said, like it would not shock me at all to see like an almost identical box score at the end yeah. of this game and the Chiefs somehow end up on a field goal. I don't think it's going to come from a Justin Tucker missed kick at the end of regulation. No. Like it did for Buffalo in this game. No, no, I'm with you, man. Like the, this is next gen's taken over. Um, and hell, it, even in one of these games, I think we got one of the guys in waiting, uh, in CJ Stroud. That is like part of that next, uh, yeah. next tier generation. That's going to be like, hey, got you. We're- uh, I have not seen the line for Chiefs Ravens yet, but I'm going to say Ravens minus five and a half. Uh, give the research department one second. We're gonna look this up. Ravens, my uh, I, that feels here. low. What did that, What did you say? I said I said Ravens five and a half. Ooh, that seems high. Does it? Yeah. I just feel like I feel like it's. I feel like the Ravens are just. They've been so good. Three and a half. Three and a half. Interesting. So my instinct said to say three and a half, but I just thought Vegas was gonna like Baltimore too much. Oh, at home, we're giving 
We're giving Lamar a pick of against. against pick him. Three and a half is not a pick, but that is that does well, seem that low. line's going to move though. So I'd that, get it at three and, and a half, is, but you can't. That is the Patrick Mahomes respect. Yep. Right there. That is the I almost said four and a half, but I went five and a half because I was like, no, they have to respect Baltimore more than that. I'll tell you what. I wouldn't be Baltimore is going to use shocked. that as fuel though. Oh, 100 percent. 100%. I would not be shocked too if that uh by the time you hear us on Friday if that line hasn't moved down to two and a half or two. Um see I feel like it would move the other way. I feel like people are gonna look at that and be like Baltimore's been the best team in football all year. They're only a three and a half point favorite. People are dumb enough, homes. man. People but how much money did Vegas make off of people doubting, you know, and betting against Tom Brady? Yeah, I I feel like we're gonna see a lot of people who are gonna look at that line, myself included, and go like, "That seems disrespectful to the Ravens." Because I still think the Ravens should be favored in this game, and I feel like it should be at like four and a half, five and a half. But man, that's that's a small number. I would I would take the bait right now. I would take the Ravens at three and a half for sure. I'll be curious to see. And I already look, I already know I'm going to flip flop on this game like four times by the time we we record on on Thursday. Um, But it's going to be fun when we get there. It's going to be fun when we get there. All right. That's all the games from the weekend and recapping everything from the coaching cycle. Hopefully by the time we get to Thursday's pod, we have a little bit more fun news to talk about. It's been a very quiet, like we had black Monday kind of, and then we've had some other coaching things pop up. It's been a weird head coaching like cycle right now. The coaching carousel has been a little odd. Uh, but I feel like we're going to get some announcements here in the next couple of days. So we'll break down anything that comes up on Thursday's pod. And of course, we're going to break down everything from the AFC and NFC championship game to get you guys ready. We'll put in our picks uh, just to let everybody know. Uh, I no, went, you don't three, need to. I went three and one with my picks. So that brings me to four and five, I think overall, uh, right? Cause I went one and five in uh, the wild card round. Or no, mm-hmm. I went two and four. Sorry. I went two and four. So I'm five and five now, back to five hundred. Uh, Scotty went five and one in the first round, and then went zero oh and four, zero oh for four with his picks this past weekend. So Scotty's at five hundred, and Vito was two and two, and he went two and four uh, with his picks last week. So uh, Vito also uh, is what four and six. So Scotty and I are tied now. After that start with the wild card weekend, I didn't think I'd get the nod, but. Big bounce back weekend here for me, three and one with my picks, and uh, puts me at five hundred. Uh, Scotty also at five hundred. Vito at four and six, or yeah, four and six mm-hmm. um, with his picks. So uh, be interesting to see right now. Tight race. We'll see who wins the playoff picks. Uh, I'm, I'm just happy that ring. my overall my overall picks right now for the year are still well above five hundred. If I can go 500 or better in the playoffs, then uh, that just makes me feel a little bit better. So uh, I think we'll you could have, have our... lost every playoff game and still been above 500. I do believe that is true. Yes. No, I, <laughs> I had, I think I finished up, was it like 56% on mm-hmm. the year? Um, so I, I finished with, with plenty of room to spare. That being said, you know, you want to, you want to keep faith. And I, I had, look, I had a rough, rough wild card round two and four, not what you expect out of the, out of your boy. Right. But three and one, that's a good bounce back there. And I did predict all of the winners. Uh, into the uh, into the, the finals you, here, you know what you can do though. Hmm. Also, shout, shout out to the Bucks for going for two. By the way, the Bucks going for two and not getting it solidified that I was going to get the cover on that. That was big. Um, I I do believe you're in territory. Uh, let me check the math. Um, but I believe you're in territory if you go three and zero in the two conference championship games in the Super Bowl. 
uh, spread that you will hit 150. Correct. 150 wins. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. I would take yeah. that. I'd, I'd take that all. Oh, no. take that all you all need day. is two two out of the next three. Two no, out of the next... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was right. Three. You have to get the the two conference championships and the Super Bowl correct, and you will hit 150 on the dot. I like <laughs> it. I like it. I'm here for it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm excited. All right. Uh, that's all we got on the pod today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, we appreciate you guys. We will be back later on the week. We'll preview the AFC NFC championship games and, of course, any other news that pops up so until then thank you to scotty shout out to Vito. we will get him back on the pod shortly and until then when we're all back together again as always take it easy everybody